missed his chances. Oh, brilliant goal! A brilliant goal! Remember the name, Wayne Rooney. Pirlo, 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 ancora, Pirlo, di tacco, tiro, Welcome back to episode 19 of the Footy Fans Podcast. Andrew Santo and Joe come at you again. Oh, what a weekend. What a um, weekend. Another weekend filled with controversy. Another weekend filled with some pretty enticing matches. And also some midweek matches that we'll uh, get into a little bit. Plus Carabao Cup. You know, we'll mention that um, a little bit later on in the show as well. But to start things off, we're obviously going to hit on the weekend games because those are the most recent. But just out of... Just pure excitement and just pure fandom. Spurs and Leicester City. Tottenham and Leicester City, midweek game. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the craziest finishes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I think the stats showed it was like the latest... it It was the latest time period or something for a team to be losing to be able to come back and win. Because I think it was like the 92nd minute is when they tied. And then 94th or 95th when they won it. So like... To be down two one in the ninety second minute, it's the latest the team's ever come back to actually win a game. Yeah, um, that was just crazy, wild. Yeah, yeah. I know. Hey, Santo, uh, <laughs> I was watching the highlights and Santo looks over my shoulder and it's two one, and he's like, "Oh, they tied it up because it was like the ninety fifth minute at that point." <laughs> and then right off the kickoff, they go and score again. Like, what yeah. are they doing? Wild. <laughs> um, oh yeah, because they they broke uh, the record was actually Aguero's goal uh, against uh, QPR when City won. The oh, title. to win the league. So they they were trailing in the 91st minute, I think it was. Then they tied it up, and then Aguero came back and won it. And then this this broke that. And I was telling Joe and uh, Stumpy, actually, that this is why we watch watch the game. Mm-hmm. Just these exciting things that you see, you know, once every so many seasons when a team just comes back and wins. And um, no social distancing as Tottenham celebrated that one, understandably no. so. No. Um, running into the into the crowd there and celebrating with the fans, but it was it was awesome <laughs> to watch. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rules kind of go out the window for celebration once that happens, and I think that was the last kick of the game. I don't think they even like played on after that. They like reset, yeah. but that was it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that was yeah, that was wild. Great for them. Uh, questionable defending from Leicester in the last five minutes of the match. That's like mm-hmm. the tightest t- the tightest time that you probably should be mm-hmm. um, when it comes to defending and trying to holding a lead, but. I mean, clearly, Tottenham wanted to push a little bit more than Leicester wanted to defend in that moment. Yeah. So kudos to, to Spurs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I w- they probably wish that they would have defended a little bit better in the match today uh, against Chelsea, as we're recording mm-hmm. on Sunday. Uh, we'll get into that match later, but uh, off the bat, I think we're going to hit on... Um, uh, what game should we do first? So, uh, talk about the VR situation. Yeah, okay. So we'll go. Oh. Hi. Yeah. We've got a guest. It's guest appearance. Guest appearance on the podcast. Come here. Oh, say hi. <laughs> this is not getting cut from the podcast. Hello. No. Anyone. Did you go to Bobby today? Hey, boys. Say hi, boys. Hey. Hi, <laughs> yeah, we'll up birthday. Hi, Santo. Hi, Sato. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. See you later. See ya. Bye. We're going to talk about Jutta <laughs> right about now. Diving into the keeper. Hey, go find your baby. Well, that was awesome. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, back to what we were saying. Uh, <laughs> nah, she's oh. good. She's looking for her little baby to to bring to bed. Yeah, he's got to have the baby when she goes to bed. That's hilarious. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go to the Liverpool game then first because that took place uh, earlier this morning, the 9 o'clock match for us here in the mm. Eastern time zone. Um, I mean, a game that Liverpool looked like they're dominating for the most part. Uh, I mean, great finish. Uh, sorry, great goal actually put in by, by Crystal Palace to get it to 2-1. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, the talking point in the game was probably the Diogo Jota, you know, PK incident. Not call the PK in the field. Var gets involved. As the referee go back to the monitor, take a second look at it, and he deemed it to be a penalty. And I think everyone that has actually seen the incident has deemed it not worthy of a penalty. Yeah. What are your guys' thoughts? Well, I mean, if you, I'm looking, if you go on YouTube, highlights Crystal Palace versus Liverpool, zone Canada, the 10 minute mark shows like the perfect angle of why it's not a PK. And he just, he clearly kicks the ball too far. And the sidestep into the keeper mm-hmm. is like, how does the ref look at that? Be like, oh, yeah, there's contact. And he goes down. It's like this whole, I can't get over this whole idea of oh, contact. And they go down because, like, oh, like I know some people say it's you can't judge a player's, you know, what's it called, intent. Like, how much is enough to make a player go down? But when you see such a clear sidestep that they're looking for the foul, like the fact putting these calls into the striker's favor is not going to eliminate the embellishment that goes on in the game. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. Uh, and we'll get into the Thiago Silva situation later. But, um, you know, these are the kind of situations where ref has to look at this and be like, you're clearly kicked the ball too far. You're leaning into the keeper. You're looking for a PK because you lost control of the like the ball. Like I'm not gonna reward you for like a not having good enough control and b looking for a PK and like drawing a foul like that. I think that's the kind of stuff where people look at this and be like, "This is why I don't watch soccer because like this is actually like just nonsense." Mm-hmm. It's like you can't call every piece of contact a foul. And I thought I was under the impression they changed that this year. With you know they're gonna let more stuff go and like contacts not gonna be enough to call fouls, but evidently not the case in this situation. Yeah, when in real time, I think it looked Daddy worse than it. Bus, baby. <laughs> you can't find her. No, I looked in the toy room and in my cradle. Find her. Okay, well go try and ask mommy where the baby is. Mommy might know. <laughs> gotta find the baby gotta find the baby ask mama what she thinks of the Jota situation too she'll probably agree with us Nate Lena oh my gosh um, yeah Santa go ahead Sorry. I was gonna say in, in real time you know it it did look uh, worse I mean, because he was running full speed. Um, keeper comes out, slides, but slides on his knees and doesn't go down and kind of pulls out of his slide a little bit. But in real time, if it looked worse, it wasn't given a, a foul in real time. Right. And that's what really gets me about how VAR is there to um, either overturn calls or support calls. And the whole theory behind it is like clear and obvious mistake. The the whole thing about something being clear and obvious um, is kind of a source of contention for me because VAR is there where you have to make a difficult call that isn't clear and obvious. And this also relates to the Thiago Silva situation later where you, when you're looking at a replay of the Jota incident and you see that, you know, real time, the goal is coming out pretty quick. Jota's moving really quick and they somewhat collide. It didn't even look like that serious of a collision in real time. Um, you look at the replay and you just see what kind of happens and the goalie pulling out, the ball's getting away from him. You know, even if the goalie didn't come out, Jota wasn't, I don't think, getting to oh. that ball. So the fact that it was overturned, um, I don't see how that was a clear and obvious error from the ref. And that goes to the consistency issue of you have other situations where um, Again, it's not a clear and obvious foul, but the VAR is standing on the field. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Very inconsistent. Um, saw this tweet by this uh, Manchester City uh, MCFC talk, uh, I think is the name, 
where they were saying how VAR is tending to lead towards Liverpool and Man U. And obviously that's just, you know, kind of being biased talk, but uh, it's just, it's just funny where you have such a close uh, offside call with uh, Man U and West Ham. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Liverpool gets this call. And then meanwhile, Tottenham is feeling pretty hard done by with what happened. So yeah. um, just another VAR incident that's probably going to be looked at for many, many months. Yeah, I feel like instead of doing like game-by-game breakdowns, we should just do the VAR incidents in each game because there's so many. <laughs> well, that was this whole we weekend. Can make, yeah, we can make a whole podcast just basically on the VAR infractions. Um, just the last time to touch on with the Jota incident was my gripe is that, yeah, the ball was gone. Like even if this, even if the foul happened at the top of the box inside the 18, he still wouldn't have had time to get to the ball because he pushed it so far away. Like it's not, yeah, I don't know. It's difficult to to look at that and be like, this is a clear foul when there's no second chance of him getting the ball, even if he gets past the keeper in the first place. Yeah. So like, in in football, just for example, they they can deem. If in in NFL football, if someone is trying to catch the ball and they get fouled, but the ball is no way catchable, like if they did they deem it as an uncatchable pass, and the guy still gets fouled on it, they can wave the flag, because they're just saying there's no way he would have caught that anyways. If that ball was near him, then yeah, then it's probably a foul. But it's thrown 15 feet over his head. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing that we're looking at here. It's being played past the keeper. 10 yards or whatever it is with only two yards to spare before it goes out of play. How is like, how can he get to that ball? And like we touched on, he obviously did make that, you know, gesture into the keeper and like he was beating for the foul. He ran. I, I've never seen it that obvious where someone runs (laughs) sidesteps into the keeper that bad and goes over Mm -hmm. like, and you know, I'm not sure who this ref is. I like think he's a fairly experienced ref. Yeah. I I know. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And it's like, how do you not look at that? It's like you clearly sidestepped into the keeper after you lost control of the ball. I'm so baffled. Like just actually, I mean, before we started recording, I watched the replay for the first first time and just like threw my head back. I couldn't mm. believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's tough. And then, like I said, we can look at every single game basically with VAR infractions. And I think if this, um, this one in particular, if it maybe was a, at a different point in the match, or if the if the game was like all square or something, they might look at yeah. it differently. The fact that it was in the eighty seventh minute or so, and Liverpool had the two one lead at the time, yeah, maybe that didn't come into like much of questioning, yeah, as opposed to like the sixtieth minute or the mm-hmm. game was nil nil or something. Um, heading into the last ten minutes of the game, Fabinho converts on the penalty. Liverpool ends up with the three one victory. Um, I think Palace is kind of hard done by. They played pretty well that game. Um, like I said, I really like the goal that they scored. Mm-hmm. That pass from Schlepp onto, I forget who that was the player, but uh, and then the you know the two on zero basically on Allison. He had no chance, but that was a really nice passing play by him. Yeah, uh, to make that move uh, work. So that was the early game um, for us on Sunday, and later on the Chelsea game took place. The third time Chelsea's played Tottenham in the last ten days, I believe, with all the other competitions going on uh, domestically in England. Third time that Chelsea came out with a victory. And, you know, I'm wearing the hat today. Uh, last couple of podcasts, I've been hating on my boys a little bit. But, I mean, they played really, really good this game, I think. I think they – I mean, the first half was kind of kind of dodgy for both sides a little bit. But I think second half, Chelsea kind of came on strong and proved, like, okay, Andrew's an idiot for talking so bad about them all the time. Like, we can actually play. Like, we know what we're doing. Um, and I think with Chelsea, too, it's like, they obviously have a lot of class on their team, but they really rely on individual players to be at their peak for them to do really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I think the main player for that reason, or the main player for that example, is Mason Mount. Like when he's not cooking, they find it hard to create and make opportunities, like in the uh, in the attacking, in the attacking third of the field. <clears throat> but when Mount's on his game, which I think he was today, and he played pretty well. Obviously, he didn't score or anything like that, but. Just his movement and his creativity and his, you know, his attacking skill that he has. I think he's like the player that Chelsea has to really rely on to generate um, attacking mm-hmm. chances. And like I said, like when he's cooking, he's, he's, I mean, I'm not gonna say he's like one of the best in the world, but he's Chelsea's like talisman. He's like the guy they look to, yeah, to uh, to get going. Um, 
I mean, the first half of the game, like I said, it was kind of dodgy for both sides, but the big talking point was the no call or the call, however you want to look at it, in the, mm-hmm. in the uh, Harry Kane um, basically tapping. Well, not tapping, but the Harry Kane finish in the first half. on the He had a foul on Tiago Silva that was deemed – was it deemed a foul on was, the field? It was yeah, deemed it was a foul, foul on, on the field. field. Yeah, and then, and so they went to VAR to reverse it, and they said no. Yeah. You boys have a different opinion than I have, clearly. Yeah. I mean, I just want to touch – like Chelsea, Chelsea did play pretty well. Um, first half, uh, it was it was dodgy, like you said. Um, just the whole VAR incident leading up to or with the Kane incident, uh, kind of I don't want to say ruined the game for me, but you know, scoring a goal that close to halftime, you know, likely Tottenham goes into to the half uh, one nil up, which changes the complete complexion of the game. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think it should have been overturned. Um, they're Tottenham's going on a break. Uh, Kane and Silva are running full speed towards the net. Um, ball kind of gets pulled back. Tiago Silva understandably slows down when the ball gets played. Hain does as well. And Hain, I think, puts his hand out to brace himself from running into Silva with one hand. And I didn't really see any push. The only motion you saw to a push was Thiago Silva basically moving himself away from Harry Kane's hand, and then obviously he goes down. And for me, it looked like a flop. Um, didn't think there was enough contact where someone would actually go down. I think Silva probably knew what he was doing. Kane turns and puts it in, and I was I was just shocked that it didn't get turned over. Um, it was actually interesting. I think it was uh, Jim Proudfoot, uh, one of the commentators, said, "No, this goal is going to stand." Like not not a foul hmm. and they were shocked as well that they didn't get turned over so i don't know this is one of those things where it goes back to the clear and obvious error where i think var is put in place so you don't have defenders flopping and trying to draw a foul from a forward um who are obviously finding it hard enough as it is to not get goals overturned with uh, millimeters being measured for offside and whatnot mm-hmm. um so just it, to see this get overturned it was it did yeah, look bad though how chelsea hmm? It did look bad. I don't think like, it even, even, bad. Like the, even from like the replay and like the freeze frame, like when your arms are like this, we had one hand on a player's back. Okay, one hand on a player's back. It looks bad. I mean, the issue I have with it is the fact that, like, if you're two feet away from me and my hands on your back and I actually push you, that's one thing. The fact that Tiago Silva is obviously over on the ball and then slows down and then feels a hand on his back and then goes over. I think that's the issue. Refs, or I don't know what, I don't, I've obviously never read the rules. The fact that, like, and I'm sure the refs are smart enough to do this. The fact that they can't discern someone actually diving to draw a foul and what an actual foul is with this much experience is I think what frustrates a lot of us who like know the game very well and a lot of neutral people, they're like, He's obviously diving and everyone knows he is. Yeah. But they're got, going by the rules so hard. But it's like, oh, but it's contact and his hands on the back. So I have to call it. It's like, not really. Like, I think, and I go back to this. I think the new rules came out saying, like, they're not going to call every single point, like, contact a foul. So that's my frustration. If, like, the refs, like, they're, and they're not dumb. They can obviously discern. Like, there's going to be some, like, very difficult ones. But ones like these where everyone knows that it's that he's looking for the foul and diving accordingly using his experience people call it i think if if var is not going to overturn those and refs can't look at that and say like no you're looking for the foul and you're falling because you made a mistake you overran the ball they're never going to get diving out of the game if they're not willing to like look at something and make a like conscious intelligent decision as to what a player is trying to do in those situations Mm -hmm. And that's my frustration. And like I said before, if they saw that in the middle of the field, I would bank nine times out of 10, they're not going to call. They're like, no, you overran the ball and you're looking for a foul. You yeah, most I mean? likely. That's, that's my frustration with it. And a lot of people are going to say, it's like, no, it's a foul. Like he pushed him. It's like, sure. But like everyone knows what actually happened in that situation. And the fact that it's not overturned, I can see Todd and being very frustrated about it. I mean, well, what bothers me is that you mentioned, you know, they made the new rule change and they're not going to call everything. But that being said, it's still based on referee's discretion of like when he picks and chooses to call the play, like call the foul. Yeah. It's not like like they could say that in the rule book, but then they'll say, 
But if it's in the 18 yard box, then they're probably going to call it. But if it's yeah. in, if it's exactly. at midfield, they probably won't call it. Yeah. And it's like, that's, again, I don't know if that's stated in the rule book and like some fine print at the bottom of the page or something, but that's what bothers us because like you just said, that's not called 40 yards away. Yeah. But it's in the box. And we see that in both ways, whether it be a penalty or, you know, a foul, like, you know, how, how yeah. it is. Mm. And like to get the diving out of the game, I know before they've done it, I think they've done it less and less frequently is actually give out yellow cards for diving. Yeah. I know that that was kind of the thing that they were doing for a while. I think they still implement that, but I don't see it happening as often because if it did happen as often, players like Jack Relish and uh, Raheem Sterling would be missing games left and right. Yeah. Um, because they would rack up, you know, they could get a red card basically in one game for, for diving. Yeah. Um, Sterling, I think, is the worst defender of that in the league. Yeah. Like, obviously, like, having a smaller stature like that, he kind of uses it to his advantage and gets thrown around a little bit and he kind of plays it up a little. But, yeah. um, yeah, he would easily could draw five yellows in, in a season and miss a game for, for diving offenses. Yeah. Or maybe they find a player or something because it's, it's basically cheating. Like, you're, you're, you're baiting the referee to mm-hmm. give you a foul that's not there, that's not existent. And if VAR can check for fouls, they should be able to check for non fouls and give out yellow cards. It's, it's, that's the thing. If, you, if they do a VAR check on a penalty, this is, and this is kind of rolls into the next VAR discussion. If they do a VAR check on a penalty and they deem that it's not actually a foul and the player dove basically, they can't go back and issue that player a yellow for diving, even though that's clearly why the foul is not given because the player dove. Yeah. But why can't they issue a yellow card to that player then? Yeah. Because yeah. the only reason why the PK is not called is because he was never touched. They determined that in the VAR check. Yeah. So that's a clear dive. But yeah. they can't issue the, a foul against that player for diving. Yeah, it, it blows my mind. I don't understand. So, what were your thoughts on the cane, Thiago Silva? I, I mean, it, I wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I just take from, it. I'll take. Obviously, of course, I will take it. <laughs> um, it, it. It looked. It looked like it could be a foul. I mean, I think that was mm-hmm. more of a foul than the Diego Jota incident. Mm-hmm. It just you, you see Kane's arm extended, you see Diago Silva obviously making making a meal out of it and and diving mm-hmm. maybe falling the way he did, mm-hmm. um, and like we said, it's it's place and location on the field. Like, it was a huge game changing moment. It, it would have swung either way, right? If if the if the foul was given, then obviously, um, obviously which it was, and then it's nil nil going to halftime. If the foul was not given, then Spurs mm-hmm. are up one nil and. I think Chelsea coming out as strong as they did second half, and of course with Hakim Ziyech scoring one of like the best goals I've seen from a Chelsea player in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know that kind of changed the momentum of the game, obviously, because Chelsea probably said, "Okay, we just like escaped going down into halftime," which is obviously never a good thing to happen in the last five minutes of um, of a half. So they probably looked at, "Okay, we got to come out stronger now." And I think it was the forty seventh minute he actually scored that goal. So. Um, I mean, good on him. And from that point on, I think Chelsea kind of just took control of the whole game. Um, Chaga Silva got his redemption a little bit too on on Kane with scoring that header in the towards the end of the second half, towards the end of the, and then towards the end of the match. Sorry, and uh, yeah, Chelsea. I wouldn't say escape with the victory because I don't think Tottenham really showed that much um, in the second half. I think Chelsea deserved the win. And I mean, they just got to keep doing what they can do to keep pace. The mm-hmm. top four from this point on, it's like we said before, the the title's gone, unless mm-hmm. a monumental collapse happens by City, and we'll get into the City game uh, in a little bit. But I think, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say Chelsea's in a good spot because, I mean, you never want to be the third one out. Like you want to be at least second. You want to be kind of trying to fight a little bit. But being in third, having a bit of a cushion now uh, to fifth and to dropping out of Europe, like we were just talking about last episode, like Chelsea being in trouble. Um, I think they're going to try and turn it around in the next couple of weeks. I know they got some other games and other matches and other competitions coming up, so maybe they can get some wins in there. They have an FA Cup match. I'll oh, start not FA Cup, FA Cup match uh, coming up. They have Champions League coming up in in February. I think they have this like international, not international, this like Club World Cup, Club something. World Cup thing, <laughs> like yeah, whatever that is, just another cash grab to get the players out there and get them tired for the season, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have that coming up as well in the next few weeks. Uh, but as far as city goes now, 
uh, their game against uh, Southampton. I think Southampton played really good mm-hmm. and played really well. Played really well. Mm. And I don't know. I think I think Southampton deserved to win that game. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if if the chances were there, but they played really good, and yeah. I'm actually I was impressed by their by their performance. They played better than Chelsea did against Man City a couple mm. weeks back. Yeah, That's yeah. They played, they played better than you know you see Watford playing against Man City. Like they did mm, yeah. a really good job. I was I was impressed. Yeah, yeah. I I think I think a tie was pretty pretty fair. Um, if not Southampton, um winning i mean you know with with city they could be having a terrible day and still come out and get two goals out of nowhere so it's it's hard to say i mean i think southampton went out with a game plan um just to defend and i thought they defended really really well frustrated city a lot mm-hmm. um and City just couldn't find a way through um you know their their goal southampton's goal you know against a run of play um you know really quality goal and from then on they just you know parked it city did find a way to score with uh laporte again uh off a set piece uh header um and about how is almost the kevin de bruyne show again yeah. with a shot from distance uh another good chance to score but honestly i think outside from you know a, a magical coming from kevin de bruyne or someone i i really didn't see city at their best you know silva i don't think had the best game he wasn't near as good as we've seen him all season. I think he was giving the ball away. He wasn't being as, um, as creative, I think in the final third, um, you know, usually you're seeing a lot of these, uh, passes that are creating good chance for city and really wasn't seeing any of that. And they were just resorting to shots uh, coming out of the, from outside the box or crosses that Southampton, I think we're dealing with really well. Um, so, you know, I think well done for Southampton. And, you know, I think this is just going to be a minor road bump, obviously, to City winning yeah. the title at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's their, I mean, what's their gap right now, anyways? I think, what is it? Nine. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does give a little glimmer of hope to Liverpool. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm assuming City's going to bounce back in the next game and just win. But, you know, if they don't get three points, that might be enough pressure on them to be like, oh, like, ship, you tied another game. It's like now Liverpool's getting super close. So mm-hmm. I think they'll still be able to deal with that. You know, they've been there before, won the title, you know, enough times to know how to close out the season. So I think they'll be okay. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I keep saying it over and over again. Southampton <laughs> loves playing against City for some reason. I don't know what it is. I'd be interested to see how many uh, mid-table teams take points, or really any team takes points off City. Palace beat them this year. <laughs> Palace and Southampton are definitely a Palace place. and Southampton. Those are I the think two, more so the, Palace. Two bugaboos for, for City. Yeah, I don't know what it is. But. Even Palace and Chelsea, too. That's a London rivalry. And Chelsea, I mean, our Crystal Palace actually shows up when they play against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, so we've seen it time, time and time again, even in our own experiences and in, in playing. When you play a lower side or a team that's just not as good as you, sometimes you like quote dumb down your play mm-hmm. like you play to the level that you're playing against i'm not gonna you know so Southampton is their premier league side they're not like a dumb down side yeah but clearly they're not in the top half of the table for a reason but when teams like that match up for whatever reason on like any given sunday any given saturday when they're playing sometimes you just can't solve them yeah whatever it is and yeah. you know like you can watch city go out and beat a team like who they who they destroyed Norwich. They, well, Norwich is Norwich, but they beat Norwich five uh, nil earlier this season in August. They beat Brighton four one. Um, they beat up Leicester six three. They beat up Newcastle four nil, seven nil against Leeds. But then you had to get a, you just get matched up against the Southampton side, who's um, let's see like their little runner form. Southampton lost against Wolves. They beat up on Brentford four one. Uh, they drew Tottenham a couple weeks ago. They beat West Ham um, on Boxing Day. So they've had a little run of form that's like been impressive for them. And I mean, I don't know if they're going to like turn the whole season around and you know jump up into a top ten spot. They're only uh, 
only one point out actually from getting into 10th place right now. So they're not having a terrible season by any means. But like I said, you just kind of get matched up against these sides that are just kind of on a roll or it's one of those like trap games. And mm-hmm. you just, I mean, it's obviously at St. Mary's Stadium. So, you know, the the Southampton fans are going to be uh, raucous there. And whenever a big side shows up, they always, you know, get a little extra gear, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, in their step. And they played really good, man. And uh, like, like I said before, we had multiple VAR checks all weekend. And another one here that just kind of confused me again. Um, I'm not going to make a huge deal about this one, but there was a VAR check for a penalty um, for a foul that took place outside the box. It took over two minutes to review this one, which is a long, long time, as we know, yeah. in, in the world of football. Like, two minutes is 20 minutes. And so they deemed that the foul actually took place outside the box. So the, so the foul happened. It was not given on the field. Play went on for like a couple minutes, and then they came back to it. They said that it was a foul, but it was done outside the box. But now they can't give it a free kick because it was done outside the box. Mm-hmm. So like VAR can't issue a free kick for the foul, but they can say it was a foul. But it's not a penalty because it's not inside. It, it just the the stipulations in VAR and like every little minor detail that gets put into whatever description VAR is, it's just too much. Yeah. If you're saying that it's not a penalty because it's not inside the box, but you're saying it actually is a foul and took a place outside the box, then it should be given a foul. It should be given as a free kick. Yeah. Because you're saying a foul happened. Yes, it was missed by the referee, but that's why you're going back and looking at it again. So yeah. it just it's so confusing to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so confusing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where the like the scope of VAR, like we know, is just for PKs, red cards, that sort of thing. Um, and not for regular free kicks and yellow cards. So that's the really big um I guess loophole where if something's so close to being a PK and you have to see if it was inside the box, but if the ref doesn't give it on the field, VAR doesn't have the, I guess the scope of work to say, um, yeah, this was a foul um, outside the box. Really. Mm -hmm. They're just determining if a foul was inside the box. So it's one of those things where where maybe go ahead. Well, I was going to say where, where maybe, um, you know, you might see refs um, when there's uh, really close calls like that. Um, they'll make a call to give a foul uh, outside the box. Um, because my whole question is, was the was nothing given because uh, the ref was assuming it was a PK and thought it was too soft for a PK and didn't consider that it might have been outside the box? So, But in the back of really- his mind, he's saying that Bar can check that and like cover him. Yeah. yeah. So they'll check it for a but PK, they still, but, but they still didn't, they missed it basically. They didn't allow it to be what it was, which is a foul. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah. So crazy. Which is interesting because if the ref gave a PK, it would have been a free kick outside the box. <laughs> if yeah. the ref called it a PK, well, they, they would have yeah, okay. checked it and said like, oh no, it was outside the box. And then it would have been a free kick outside the box. Because the PK. foul was called on the field. Yeah. Yep. Oh man. So, very strange. It's kind of frustrating. I can understand why that's the rule. Um, but I still go back to there's there's still some kinks. I don't know why they're not like really looking at this and like how someone high up's not looking at the Diego. I'm still going back to this whole <laughs> battle about the lean into the goalie. How someone's not looking at that and like getting some people together and being like, we have to like address this situation of embellishment and contact because mm-hmm. people are going to this and like getting super frustrated or maybe they're just like going to keep doing it because it creates a buzz and they want to get like people riled up but well that's not the right reason i know but look, term, but look what we're doing now we're doing a whole podcast on it exactly but like you know long term for like the health of the game people are gonna you know it's gonna be great for like when it happens but long term you're gonna get more and more people fed up and be like this is just getting like very ridiculous but that being said, if, if VAR is going to play like the big brother role like they have with like looking at every little infraction, then they should have the authority to make decisions on every single infraction or just get rid of them. Yeah. Because then it's like you're, you're floating this like weird line of now like, yes, we know it's a foul, but we can't give it a foul, but it looks like a foul, but should it be a foul? Is it red? Is it yellow? But we can't decide, so we're going to make it orange. I don't understand <laughs> what they – I get what they can and can't do because it's in writing and that's just what, the way it is. 
but it just determines the outcomes of the game in the negative way a lot of the time. Yeah. And it does not allow, you know, scoring opportunities. It does not allow free kick chances, penalty chances when they should be given, but they're not given. If you're going to have the authority to make changes in the game like they do, yes, on bigger offenses like penalties and, and you know, red card offenses, then that's fine. But when there's instances that are very blatant as well to the viewer and they just say, why can't VAR just look at that? Like VAR does yeah. everything else anyways. Why can't they just look at what just happened? Because it's so clear, it's so obvious, but it's not under the whole like VAR umbrella of what they can check. Mm-hmm. But it just, like, but we're seeing it as spectators, and it's like that's clearly what just happened. Yeah, and Which, it's just it's, it blows my mind because, like I said, like they they're it's put into place that they can actually make in-game decisions, in-game changes, but not to everything that they can see. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's just my gripe with it. Yeah, understandable. I mean, yeah. and looking at the decisions this weekend. <laughs> Maybe a lot of them were not particularly the right one, which is like, you know, if you have this massive system that's supposed to take a lot of this out of the game, but it's not really, I mean, granted in some situations it's doing very well, but like they still, for whatever reason, cannot get some of these PK calls like, mm-hmm. great, you know? Yeah. Um, and and yeah. This, the last thing I'll say about going back to the Chelsea game, I missed this earlier. Um, it's actually kind of similar to the whole discussion we just had about the penalty that's not given, but it could have been a free kick, but it wasn't a free kick. Malang Sar got his leg almost taken off. Yeah, that was by, by Matt Dockery. And I think, mm. like, again, it was, it, no, it was not given a foul. No. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, the referee, they show him in the replay. The referee's only like 15 yards, maybe 10 yards behind the play. They, sit, they show him in the, the back angle of the camera shot. So he's looking at the play. Matt Dockery gets in, gets in there, just studs up a Malang Sar. They said maybe he lunged in, whatever it was. It goes to Varchek for a red. It was not given a foul on the field. They check it for a red card possibility. Everyone sees the replay, and everyone at the same time goes, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. yeah I, 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 I was like, oh, the grimace in my face. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, broke his ankle. Looked nasty. Not given a red card. Clearly a foul, though. Clearly deemed a worthy of a yellow card. The result yeah. of the play is a throw in at Tottenham. Yeah. Because they can't yeah. go back and issue yellow cards. They can only issue red cards. They can't go back and say, oh, he was actually fouled there because it was not given on the field. And they weren't checking if it was a foul. They're checking if it was a red card worthy. Yeah. So again, they said not red card worthy, clearly a yellow card, clearly a foul. But the result, the result is a throw into the Spurs. Yeah. That's, think, again, the loop. That's you know, the point you know what solve all this? What would, what, solve, what would solve all this is if, like, if, they go to, if it goes to a VAR check, they can issue the subsequent turn or whatever. I'm going to like put it in terms in case I want VAR wants to write this down. <laughs> Section <laughs> if F- it goes to a VAR check, two. yeah, if they go to a VAR check, the resulting infringement can be given on the field based on what they deem appropriate for that infringement. It's what they discover, <laughs> what they find. I get write what you're saying. I get what down. you're saying. So it's like, oh, they went for a red card. It, it's not a red card, but they can go and say like, but it was X, Y, Z, and then do that on the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that would probably make more sense because you're going to VAR, so you have to check anyway. You're not losing more time. If they're like, oh, it was a foul and it's a yellow card. It's like, okay, now take it from here instead of a throw. And it's literally, I don't think, any more time wasted because you've already gone to VAR. Mm-hmm. So that's, that could solve that issue, but I don't know. If they that's, can, that's my two cents. If VAR can go back and take a goal away that was scored two minutes after a handball took place in the middle of the field that was reviewed from VAR later on, then they can be they should be able to fix this. Yeah, <laughs> which we've seen before. Yeah, mm-hmm. like two minutes goes on after a handball infraction that was not given. Goal is scored. Oh, but it's a handball two minutes ago on the sideline. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yeah, thanks, VAR. Yeah, I that's think kind of, see that's the things that I don't like, but then I do want to have for this example with with Sar. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think especially when there's no calls given um, by the ref, I think that's where um, you get the most controversy um, because then you really have to go and see if something has to get overturned um, or if the ref missed something. 
Um, because then like, like we said, you can't go back and do a lesser, uh, penalty if nothing was given on the field, either it's like the worst case scenario or you just like play has to go on. So we'll see if that, if something else changes, uh, next season with this, cause I, I do think something has to change with like this situation because yeah, I mean, you know, Kane situation changes the game, uh, this foul on Sar, you know, could have had a little bit of implications. Um, oh, so I knows? mean, I think it's, I think it still should have been a red card. I don't know if that's just me being Chelsea fan, but it gross. I think it was orange. Yeah, <laughs> just because orange. he was like, just Slightly because he was in his shot, it, it didn't look. I don't know. It's tough. If he was, yeah. if he was even a little bit higher, I think it would have been red. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and like we say, the referees have the toughest job in the world. But now they have help with the yeah. toughest job in the world, and they still can't get the decision correct. And yeah. I mean, you're going to look at it from any standpoint. You're going to say, oh, that's their correct call. Oh, that wasn't their correct call, no matter what team you're supporting. And like us being as neutral, like watching the, the Man City game, I'm like, I'm not a Man City fan, but that should have been a foul still. Yeah. Like, no, maybe it wasn't in the box, so it's not a PK. Sure, whatever. I don't care. But that's a, that's a free kick. Like, they should have a free kick in that spot of the field. Yeah. And then De Bruyne um, just sniffs from the top of the box. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> win the game. Wouldn't yeah. put it past him, man. That guy's an absolute machine. Yeah. Um, I mean, last match again, <laughs> VAR at the end could have swung this one in a completely different way. But Manchester United, West Ham, probably the premier match of the of the of the weekend. Um, both teams sitting fourth and fifth in the table at the start of the uh, start of the match, and they swap positions mm-hmm. by the end result of the match. Um. I mean, this is this is an awesome game to watch too. Um, both teams played super well, super well, really well. This is really well, super my good. Ad- my adjectives today are just off the charts. Very good. Um, <laughs> it was a very good game. Uh, we expected that with West Ham and, and Manchester United. I think earlier in the season, um, my boy Mikel Antonio actually missed the um, the home game to West Ham. I think he was out for injury or he had a suspension or something. So he actually missed the game against uh, uh, Manu. And I think United ended up winning that game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I was like really hyped up for that game. Because again, it was like a close a close match in the standings. Uh, West Ham was really rolling and I was on the big uh, Antonio, um, big Antonio train. Like I thought he was going to just be like, you know, a goal scorer of the year, golden mm-hmm. boot winner. And he actually ended up missing that match. So this one on the return fixture at Old Trafford, I thought, okay, this is going to be a cracker of a game. And it was. I uh, didn't have the fireworks that we thought in the goal-scoring tally uh, up until the 93rd minute. With, yeah. uh, with our boy Rashford there getting in and, and sniping in the 93rd uh, to give United the win. Yeah, I this game, this could have been a VAR call too. Like, I think this, I don't know, man, like, it was a tight call for offside. For yeah. not, for not the offside. lines don't lie, I guess. <laughs> That's the do. one thing. <laughs> I mean, my if it's this one looks like it was built like I don't know, a foot, maybe a foot and a half, which it kind of seemed deceptive on the field, but yeah, drew it is what it is. It was tight. My issue with um with the offside VAR is if it's like millimeters, like a toe, because then it goes into like, well, when was the ball actually released? You know what I mean? Mm. Um so, yeah, that's a whole other discussion about like they gotta put like a sensor in the ball or something. Yeah, like a sensor in the like ball that. that can determine like at that exact second if there was like when the impact of of like ball to foot or foot to ball took place. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, we we felt an impact vibration at this exact second. Then they just check the footage to see when the guy like where the position of the player was. Yeah, so is that possible? I don't know. Am I living in a fairy tale land? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Call me crazy. I think the the way to fix it, um, I think it has to be like maybe a foot, uh, a foot um, plus minus discretion in favor of the attacker. So if like a ta- yeah. if an attacker's off by like a millimeter, then I don't think it should be called offside because then you're getting into like, well, when was the ball released? Because if they're moving at like whatever it is, like I don't know, thirteen kilometers an hour, however fast they run, who knows? Um, then depending when you freeze the frame, they could be onside or offside by like a millimeter. 
Mm. And, you know, if you're not sure, I think someone said like, it has to go in favor of the attacker because obviously they're not getting a big enough advantage for millimeters. And so it's not really a, contributing to their, them being offside. Uh, so that's just my two cents on the, on the matter. Like when they're going, it's like, Oh, your pinky toe is offside. It's like, well, you froze the frame <laughs> 0.07 milliseconds too early. In, in which case it would have been onside. Yeah, that's my. I think Klopp said the same thing. Make the lines thicker, and if they overlap, then it's not offside because then you're actually accounting for the like frames to which like accounts for when the ball is released. But again, I say this; it seems very, very obvious. I don't know why it's not been <laughs> considered, but it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. But no, it is. It is good to see uh, Rashford uh, get on the score line again. Um, you know, he's been you know, just use as a sub uh, more times in, in uh, recent games. So uh, I've always been a big fan of him. So it's good to see him get it back on the score sheet. Uh, like just a massive goal for him at Old Trafford late in the game, mm-hmm. putting him uh, ahead of West Ham. Now that's, that's a goal he needed. I think that's a goal the club needed. Because yeah. uh, obviously they're, they're just battling for fourth uh, with West Ham. Uh, and Tottenham, assuming they they get some points from their games in hand, so it's going to be tight. It's going to be a really good European battle, and this is one that Manu definitely needed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, give give credit to Ragnik where it's due. I mean, since he's been appointed there, uh, United only had one loss on in the Premier League. I'm not sure what they've done in international or um, other domestic competitions, but in the Prem, they've only lost to Wolves uh, beginning of January earlier this this month. Other than that, you know, he's had nothing but wins and, and draws. So whatever he's been doing with the side, whether it's just motivation-wise, whether it's, you know, changing tactics. Um, like I think in this match against West Ham, I give him big props for making a more attacking decision by taking Fred off and putting Cavani on in the um, in the 82nd minute. It just kind of showed them because it they, they gives a like-for-like sub with Rashford and Greenwood, I believe it was, in the 60th minute. So for them to come out and take a defensive player off and put on Cavani while the game is still at nil nil. I mean, that's just like, takes a kind of ballsy decision date basically to change your formation in that sense. And Ragnar clearly is a guy who just is not afraid to take some risks uh, mm-hmm. when he has to. And I mean, we, we were saying how with United coming into Ragnar's tenure and with the, um, the sacking of Ole there, their biggest, um, detriment to the team was their defensive capabilities. Yeah. And if you look, I mean, I'll just go quickly again through the last few games. Um, you know, they beat uh, Brentford 3-1, so they gave up one goal there. Uh, and they played Villa and drew against them as a 2-2 draw. So, you know, two two goals is not crazy or in any sense. But then a 1-0 victory against Villa, a 3-1 victory against Burnley, 1-0, 1-1 draw, 1-1 draw, 1-0. Uh, they beat up on Arsenal 3-2. I think that was just before Ragnar came in there, uh, the Arsenal game on December 2nd. But, I mean, look at those games right there compared to, you know, losing... Um, where's the bad one here? I got blown out one time. I forget what it was. Wofford? Well, they lost to... Yeah, they lost to Wofford, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a bad game. Yeah. That was know, the... At, the, at, the beginning of the, at the beginning of the season, they had more... Um, like high scoring matches, whether they turned out in Manu's favor or not. Uh, Leicester, they lost 4 2. Liverpool, the 5 0 blowout. Uh, Man City, 2 0. Yeah, the Watford, 4 1. Like, those are games that you just you can't be doing at a world class level. Mm-hmm. And the mistakes were there, and the mistakes were very obvious when, when their goals were going in. It wasn't just like little things here and there. They were like glaring mistakes or glaring, you know, holes in, in the defense. And uh, Ragnarok, I think, has done a pretty substantial job since he's gotten appointed. And I mean, look at the jump they made, right? I think when he when he signed in there, he was I think they're maybe seventh in the table or something. Yeah, they were struggling to get into yeah, the top seven four. Or, yeah, seven or eight. Mind you, between the top eight and the top four, it's only separated by four points. So that battle there into Europe is going to be a spicy one to look at for the remainder of the season as well as the relegation battle down the bottom of the table. But I mean just to project United from wherever they were, eighth, ninth place into top four now. And by doing it, by beating the fourth place holder at the time, and that's huge. That's really good for them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, you know, we always talk about where it's, it's always good when the good teams are playing well. Um, you know, I think Manu's getting to the place where they're sitting probably where they should be. Um, I think they still have a lot of work to do to get to be a title contending team. Um, I do still think they're really off the step with the likes of city Liverpool, uh, and even Chelsea. Mm-hmm. It's what do you mean even Chelsea? Well, you know, where Chelsea no. and even, even Liverpool are just, you know, a few injuries away from, yeah. you yeah. know, you know, being in, in trouble and having, you know, they, they do have those dips and they run a form. Whereas, you know, teams like uh city and other top teams like Bayern, where you're, you're really expecting really, really good form week in, week out, no matter who you're missing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think Chelsea and Liverpool are maybe just like a couple signings away from getting to that place where I think man, you still have a good amount of work to do yeah. uh, to get to that point with Chelsea. They're just one team of Werner start away from crumbling. <laughs> That's all it <laughs> That's is. It. That's all it is. Yeah. I don't want to see that guy's feet on the field anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we have to, unless it's like we're winning five nil. Okay. Team will get in there or something. Um, <laughs> uh, we have international break coming up yeah uh kind of a bummer Hmm. but it allowed the teams to you know take a break from the the strenuous you know every single day training that they that they're used to some players can take a break obviously if they're not being called up for the international side um i think it's a two-week break so i think the first game back is saturday the 5th of um of february and then that's Saturday. Yeah, Saturday the fifth of February, and then when's the eighth? Eighth is a, is that a Wednesday or something? Tuesday. Tuesday. Wednesday yeah, everyone plays on the Tuesday. It looks like. And the Wednesday. Yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday. So a bunch of midweek games, and then back again resuming on the weekend. Um, looking at the games for the first time. Newcastle Everton. That's gonna be a good yeah. game. Yeah, gonna I mean, be a Newcastle. Big- Big match for big Newcastle, point. having picked up three points. Uh, Huge. You got a big point against Wofford and three big points against Leeds. Yeah. Climbing out. Yeah, they're just one point back from Norwich. We can do it. Come on, boys. Yeah. I mean, it would be heartbreaking if Everton got relegated, too. Jeez. They're right there, man. Oh, man. They got a few games at hand, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of only saving grace for them, but that might not even matter at this point. Yeah. With the way mm-hmm. that they're playing and their they're runner form. I I have a feeling it's going to be Burnley, Watford, Norwich. I think Newcastle is going to find a way. Um, that's that's my gut feeling right now. I mean, I, I'm not want to tell you you're wrong. Those are pretty bad teams. <laughs> so like, only three can make it. If you're the 17th place finisher, you're that's like a good victory for you. That's like winning the league, basically. Yeah. Because again, like that influx of money coming in for the next season of the TV rights and just finishing in the Premier League. Oh my god, that's just massive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean again we'll we'll keep um keep an eye on the, the bottom of the table as well as the top of the table. But the real battle I think really right now is like those fourth and fifth places for Europe. We yep. even have the likes of Wolves now coming in. Um the last five games, there are four wins and one draw. So I mean their form has been incredible. Um yeah, they're in eighth place with thirty-four points. Only four back from United in in the fourth place of Champions League. Only one win away from getting into the Europa League. Yeah, with a, with a couple of games in hand on those on those teams as well. So these games in hand. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many because of, yeah. of COVID, man. Because just, just <laughs> I, mean, I don't Tot- know how they're gonna do it. I think they Tot- said something. There's twenty something games that have been canceled. Yeah. So they're gonna have to put in twenty games, not per team, obviously, but twenty matches have to be played at some point between now and the end of the the season. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you look you look at Tottenham, Chelsea. If Tottenham win all their games in hand, which considering the form, they could, they would go ahead of Chelsea who's in third. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Burnley's played eighteen games. <laughs> I know they're I five saw, back from Man City. Chelsea's saw, played twenty four matches. They played the most in this in the league. Shout out to whoever made this meme, but they're like, oh, City thinks they win the title, but uh, Burnley's face when uh, they win their seven thousand four hundred fifty four games in hand and just shot face. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> like five more. Like that's that's the thing, right? Burnley. They played I mean, six less games in Chelsea. That's crazy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Six, twelve, eighteen, eighteen points, forty points. Nope, mm-hmm. thirty points. 
Where they put them? I put them in ninth place if they win out. Yeah. If Burnley wins out, they're in ninth. Yeah, but Burnley have to win out. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. Oof, I got a better chance of winning out, and then Burnley. Yeah. Sure that means. Yeah. Um, as far as us though, for an international break, are we gonna try and get together next weekend? Or are you guys busy? <laughs> no. Yeah. Canada, I think we it's, did. Canada, it's Canada U.S. next weekend. I think eight o'clock kickoff. Yeah, we can we can figure something out. We can chat. Um, see we'll see what happens. I'm sure there'll be things that come up that we can inevitably talk about. Yeah. Do some Newcastle signing that blows the socks off. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, by that time of the next episode, there'll only be a few days left in the transfer window for January. Mm-hmm. And then when they get back to playing in February, obviously the transfer window will be, will be shut off, will be gone. So, yeah, we could see some last-minute deals uh, coming in for for any side. You know, I think if there's one team that's going to make any splash, I think it's going to be Newcastle. Mm-hmm. So they think that they need another player that's going to really solidify them. Um, not just for now, but for the future, because you're investing in a long-term project here, right? Yeah. With getting with getting Eddie Howe in there as, as your manager, like you're not just trying to have him save you from relegation. You want him to build your club, and the best way to do that is to stay in the Premier League and to you know reap the benefits of the money. I guess clearly they don't need it as much now with new ownership being in place, but you still want to just put the results out there and just say, okay, we can actually win. Like we know how to stay afloat. Yeah, as opposed to just being relegated, starting from scratch again, and then building the team up that way, because that's no way that anybody wants to do it. So, yeah, yeah I think any big splash people will be Newcastle. Um, I mean, low key Villa, man. I don't know if they're making any more signings, but Coutinho and, and, and Dina, yeah, Suarez might be going there apparently. <sighs> God, that'd be sick. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be cool. I don't like the guy, personal reasons. That's my that's my bit, but um. Just to see him back in the Premier League would be sweet. Mm. Yeah, it would be cool. And I, I think I saw some, uh, I don't want to say rumors, but uh, Deli Alley, potentially in Newcastle. I saw that one too, yeah. He's not even playing right now. No, He's not playing. I, I think it'd be a good move. Yeah. You know, you know, if Newcastle stay up, I think they got a bright future. He can get into the squad. He's obviously not playing a lot with Tottenham. I think it'd be good. Maybe, what about Pogba? Who, Pogba to Newcastle. Who knows where Pogba's going to end up? Pogba to Newcastle. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of just speaking of West Ham earlier too, I saw a bunch of rumblings on Twitter saying how you know Declan Rice is just this premier player. I think he's amazing, and and Chelsea apparently had his chance to get him, um, in this past transfer window and in, in the summer before the, before the season started, and. They're just saying how Chelsea's like kicking themselves in the ass right now for not signing him because that's the kind of player that they need in the middle of the park to just control the game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And people are saying how they're just they're just kicking themselves inside, saying that Chelsea had this chance and they're going to be pissed to see him in either the sky blue or the or the deep red of United next year because he's he's touted to go somewhere. Um, it's just difficult when you have a player at his stature and like what he does and what he is for the club. Like West Ham, obviously, are having just an incredible run of form in the last couple of seasons under David Moyes and how they've been able to stay afloat and stay competitive in the top four, top five. And Declan Rice has just been a huge component about that or for that. He's the captain of the team. He's young. He's like 23, I think, 22 years old. So he can obviously be like a long-term player for a team. But his value could just be so good that West Ham can't say no. Mm-hmm. And it could be a whole like Jack Relish kind of thing with him leaving Villa, it could be the same thing with Rice leaving West Ham. Like that's just your, it's your core player. Like you're one guy mm-hmm. again, your captain on your side. And do we, do you guys think that West Ham would make that move? I mean, if the, if the offer from whatever team uh, puts out there is just like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I guess you can't say no, but I mean, what, what do you guys think about that? I mean, I've always been a proponent. If like the player wants to leave, you have to let them leave. Um, because I don't think he make, does. I don't think he does. Yeah. Um, it's just a tough one. If, if he like, that's one thing, if he wants to stay or if he wants to leave, you have to let him leave for sure. Uh, cause it's just not going to be beneficial to your club. Having your key man not really want to be there. It's going to be a similar to Harry Kane. Like it's just not going to, they're just going to turn to like an average player and their value is going to drop. If he wants to stay and West Ham gets a boatload offer, it's like, do you sell him? 
<laughs> I don't the, think so. That's I don't think so either. You know, because who like okay, you sell Declan Rice, who if he's like, no, I want to stay, I want to help build this project at West Ham, and then you sell him for a boatload of money. You know, are the two to three, especially in this market, are the two to three signings you're gonna get for the 100 million, maybe, or if it's even that high, it might be 80. Like, are the two to three signings you're gonna get from gonna make that big of an impact? Really? Good point. Probably not. Um, I th- and I think it'll also elevate the players around the club if West Ham gets a ton of money. It's like we're gonna give you 80 million for Declan Rice. And then Declan Rice is like, no, I want to stay and like help build this. And then the club's like, no, he wants to stay. And like, so we're going to keep him, like, let him stay. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to actually have a bigger impact in taking West Ham where they want to go versus signing two or three, who knows who they would even get. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like that's, the, that's it's my like the reverse. It's like yeah. the reverse Tottenham. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, they taught him sold bail. They signed seven guys and they all flopped. It's like, yeah, <laughs> which is what they would have done with Harry Kane, right? Yeah. yeah. So similar, I, well, maybe not flop, yeah. but similar, you know, strategy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I would put it on him if I was West Ham. You had a boatload of money. It's like, do you want to stay? If you want to stay, we'll keep you. If you want to leave, then we're not going to make you stay because that wouldn't be good either. So, yeah. What about you, Santi? Well, I'm I'm kind of the same boat where. You want to be a top club and you want to be really competitive. You know, a, a club is a business uh, at the end of the day. Um, but if you want to be a team that's consistently competing for Champions League, if you want to win titles, you have to keep your best players. You can't be this farmhouse where you have massive clubs coming and buying all your players because then that's Southampton. You, yeah. Well, that's the thing because you're <laughs> or West Ham. That's, that's West Ham of like the early 2000s. Yeah. With John Terry and Joe Cole and Lampard and Rio Ferdinand and yeah, who else you got there? Everyone. Yeah. Um, you're just putting a ceiling on what you're going to achieve, right? So I think I always like it where you know a player stays uh, committed to the club and clubs stay committed to their players and like the project they're building. Um, they're obviously in the league to, to win just as much uh, as making money. Um, obviously, you have to stay afloat with uh, your finances. Um, otherwise you don't have a team. Um, I, I would like to see him say, I'd like to see teams just hang on to their players and just build uh, an actual project and make the league more competitive instead of just signing players away once they get a massive offer. And I'd like to yeah. see players just stay committed to their clubs as well. So he's just I'm voting such, that he stays. <laughs> Hopefully he just, he's just such an outlier though. Like in, in like his capabilities, like for the club, like, yeah, you have really good talent. Like I said, Mikel Antonio is really good. Um, our boy Jared Bowen there has stepped up a lot for them too. But yeah. he's he's like a world-class guy. Like, he's got that potential, I think. Like he was playing, like, all the minutes that he could for England in the Euros this season. Coming off barely playing any international competitions before that because he was so young and so new. And then the last couple of seasons that he's had, I just, like, boosted his stock like crazy mm-hmm. and kind of put him on on the scene for the player that he is and the player he could be for the future. So a lot of teams are trying to bite at him and say, okay, we want to get this guy now while he's young and develop into like our side of the team and our culture. Because what he's been doing at West Ham, like I said, he's the captain of the, of the side. He's playing with guys mm-hmm. that are a lot older than him, but they still look up to him as like a leader type. So, I mean, for that guy to be as important as he is to West Ham, he could equally be as important to that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And West Ham will get a boatload of cash for him. So yeah, it's like, and then, do, you, do you let him go? Do you keep him? Like, it's just, it's a tough one. Yeah, I think, I think you need him if you want to win Champions League or if you want to get into Champions League, let alone win. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> 2023. Do you, how much money are you going to get if you're consistently, uh, you know, performing well as a club, right? Um, mm-hmm. Going to grow as a brand, you know, and whatnot. Um, you know, you got to do something like if you're, if you're a West Ham fan, you're not in it to see your team finish seventh every season. Right. You know, you want to, you want to go see a Champions League game against Bayern Munich or something. Right. And it wasn't so long ago either that West Ham was not even in conversation. Mm-hmm. Like there was, there was times they were finishing 13th, 15th in the season, close to relegation at times too. 
Um, getting the new stadium that they have in London there, like right in the heart of London, was a huge for them, a huge investment in the in the side. And that was maybe four years ago, four or five seasons ago. But I remember right before that, they were poop. Mm-hmm. Like they, they weren't doing good at all. And then they get this brand new stadium, like 60,000 seat London stadium, whatever it is. But since they've kind of made those moves and brought David Moyes in, like they've done a really good job in their management and their and their scouting and their player development. Um, West Ham's a you know sneaky little uh, sneaky little club that's that's here to stay. I think for the for the future. Yeah. Yep. Um, like I stated before, we have international break coming up the next two weeks, so there will be no EPL matches. Um, I'm not even sure if there's like any domestic, you know, cups, FA Cup, nothing like that. So. Like I said, the uh, the Premier League will be back the week of February fifth. Um, that's the that's the one and only match on the Saturday, and then February eighth and ninth is officially match day twenty four. Or for some teams, it's match day twenty. For Burnley, it's match day nineteen. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> it is a match know. day. <laughs> it is a match day. There will be uh, for you to watch on the eighth and ninth of February. Um, are we all, all good, boys? We're good. Yeah. All right. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, for listening, for watching. As always, you can get us on YouTube. Search Footy Fans, P-H-A-N-S. On Twitter, Footy underscore fans. On Instagram, Footy Fans Podcast. Um, Those are all the outlets. Um, On YouTube, you guys can like, um, subscribe to the video, or subscribe to the channel. Really help us out. Joe, hit that smash. Smash that like button. Subscribe and hit the bell for notifications. I don't even know. One day you guys are going to write. There it is. Um, Yeah, no, I want to thank everyone for for listening in. And as always, we'll tune in next week after some of the week's action. Ciao, everyone. See ya. Ciao. Bye.